0: Three, two, one. Welcome. Um, we have a very special guest today. Please tell us about yourself. I'm very excited to have you on and um, talk all the vagina talk.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. Um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. So my name is Kim Vopney and uh, my my kind of brand is is the Vagina Coach. And I came upon that a little bit accidentally on purpose, I would say. And The story kind of begins really when I was little, and I remember seeing a childbirth education class in sixth grade and thinking, oh, my God, I'm never doing that. But then being very curious, saying, you know, well, my mom did it and my aunts did it. And, you know, kind of having this bit of fear fascination about childbirth. And anyway, years go on. And and I was asking my mom questions and she had had episiotomy births and she had uh, back pain she had, um, a tummy that <clears throat> would never flatten. And, you know, so I kind of was looking at all of this thinking, Oh my gosh, I definitely am not going to, this is not something I want to sign up for. But, um, but anyway, but I took that information and I thought, okay, well that's great. And I'm not going to do that. And so, so i sort of growing, you know, teen years and into, you know, 20s, I was like, "No, nope, not having babies. And then I met my husband and, you know, then of course we're kind of talking about families and, and, um, decided that I did want to start a family, but it was still kind of a little bit uncertain about what I was going to do, and I thought, I'll just opt for a cesarean section. And then I watched, the next year, I I watched my sister-in-law give birth, and she used a midwife, which I had never, I'd heard of, but I, at the time, it was sort of associated with, you know, it's witchcraft, and it's, it's so alternative and, and strange, so that was my first witness of uh, midwifery-assisted birth. She was in a sideline birth position. She did perineal massage. So she had educated herself and built this great birth team. And I I was very empowered by watching my sister like law birth. It was like nothing I've ever seen before. And anyway, following year, I'm pregnant and I reach out. I have a midwife. I'm asking her and the other midwife, her partner, what I can do. Perineal massage was definitely a topic. And then they said there's this other thing called the Epino, which is a biofeedback device for pelvic floor training and birth prep it's from Germany and so I researched this product it made sense to me I bought one I used it I had a great experience yes I also used midwives yes I was in a sideline birth position yes I prepared my body I was ready for it and so that was one piece of what I feel contributed to my birth experience being positive But then I was looking, thinking, you know, my other friends weren't having such great birth stories. And I thought, you know, I wonder if more people could know about this. So I contacted the company and said, hey, can I be a kind of like a distributor? And it it was not intended to be a business. It was supposed to just be kind of a little side gig. And so I started selling this product. And I I didn't even have a website. It was just word of mouth. And uh, then I did start a website a few years later. Uh, And then in 2009, I was laid off from my... Um, corporate jobs. So I had worked in fitness for many years, then I went into human resources and um, at the time we were, we had moved away. My husband is a pilot. We didn't have family nearby. I was working full time and I was in the back of my mind thinking, I wonder if I could turn this sale of this product into a business and therefore be at home and have more time with my kids. Three months later, after I had that kind of self discussion with myself, I got laid off. So I thought, okay, here we go. I'm going to start. So I started a website and started reaching out to people and people started referring to me and they were pelvic floor physiotherapists or physical therapists as they are called in the States. I had never heard of one before. And so I reached out to a couple and said, Um, Thank you for referring people to me, but can I learn more about what you do? And so I met with them and started to, I was lucky enough to attend a couple of uh, courses. They let me not to become certified, but to sit in and see what was happening. And then I started to think, my gosh, like every single woman should see a pelvic floor physical therapist, especially once you've had a baby, once you've been pregnant and had a baby and so that was kind of that's what got me into this and at the time I was really focused on helping women prepare during their pregnancy so looking at that was such an opportunity for a preventive mindset and I uh, recertified my fitness specialized in pre-postnatal created a program called prepare to push and was working exclusively with pregnant women then I started to recognize that there was a whole recovery piece afterwards so I was looking at birth as being this physical event that we should be training for and looking like, how would I train for a marathon? How would I train for this and use the principle of specificity. And I, I wasn't necessarily looking at the recovery element, which is a key piece of any training regimen. So I started to look at that start, started to see the connection between the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor. I ended up partnering with two other women, and we created a separate business called Belly Zinc, where we manufactured a postpartum recovery garment called the AB System, and uh, and that kind of became my main focus for a while. So my business was online product sales, and it kind of was running itself. We started Belly Zinc, we started growing that. We then created certification courses for professionals um, to learn how to assess within their scope, how to screen for diastasis and chronic back pain and prolapse and incontinence and all those things. And that was, you know, that kind of brought up till about um, well, at the end of twenty nine in October twenty nineteen, so almost a year ago, I bought my partners out of Belly Zinc, and then I actually ended up wasn't intended, but I ended up selling Belly Zinc in um, in June of this year. Wow, glad. I took the courses out of it and just sold the product side of the business, and the Vagina Coach title came. A few years ago, I was speaking at a um, like a conference for women's health, or sorry, for women entrepreneurs, and all the speakers up had been some sort of business coach, like marketing or strategy or funnels or whatever it was. And so then it was my turn. I come on stage and I say, you know, so now you have a vagina, vagina coach for yeah. your business, and it it just kind of came out, but it was the light bulb moment, and I thought it totally sums up what I do because I started I had started to work with women through all life stages, and. Yeah, so that's kind of high-level how I got to where I am and where the vagina coach term came from. And and now I'm a passionate promoter of pelvic health.
0: <laughs> I love it that it's um, – I mean, I are you – you're in Canada? Yes. I ju- I just heard the accent. That's why I'm assuming. But um, I love – is it is vagina a word there that's, like, thrown around loosely or not really? <laughs> no. no. Like, no, I would, yeah, yeah it, I love yeah. it that you just say it because I think that it should be normalized – Totally. but for whatever yeah. reason you know it's such a taboo word and it's like everyone comes out of one like totally why is this and such it, a it, weird a body word? part
1: it's like we we can name all the other parts yeah. freely and openly and then we have all these code words for everything else and that's part of what has contributed to this you know it's being such a shameful place or embarrassed to yeah talk about.
0: it doesn't make sense
1: yeah so no i i had somebody tell me actually um she's a nurse confidence advisor and she she'll throw around any word, but she said, you know, the word vagina is one of the most hated words in, in in the English language. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to change that. Cause I, I just like, yeah. we just have to start talking about it openly and just share the word. So it makes people stop. It makes people think, it makes people pay attention to what I want them to pay attention to. So it uh, I get yeah, your point across. <laughs> <leaving her> <laughs> yeah. Well, good. I mean, I, I like,
0: I think that, you know, the, um, what do they say? Impression? The first impression is what sticks. So yep. this is, it's really a good way to make a good first impression of yep.
1: this is my point And I'm, you <laughs> know, I got, got a strong it.
0: point and I'm sticking to it kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. love it. Yeah. Um, so now what you recently sold congrats. It's awesome. Um, and you have your, uh, the step-by-step plan that you, you work with and I see a lot of stuff on your uh, Instagram with um different things that you do just so you you trained in physical therapy after you took the seminar or are you just like now you're you know continuing to learn what's
1: yeah I think I'm always continuing to learn I'm I'm not a physical therapist so I'm a personal trainer and Got what it. what sort of when when I was starting early on there really was you know when I first started Facebook was not really yet used as business it was it was still a personal platform. the The business platform at the time, social media-wise, was Twitter, and that was all that there was. And so I started to go on Twitter, and there really wasn't a lot. And then I started to use hashtags. You know, hashtag pelvic floor, and and then one day there was this hit from a, a urogynecologist in Reno, Nevada, called um, his name's Dr. Bruce Crawford, and his program's called Pilates, which is pelvic floor Pilates. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about what he was talking about, and he was at that time, one of the first that I had read or found who was talking about the pelvic floor as part of a team rather than this muscle group that needed to be isolated from everything else. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily believe or understand how we could isolate it or why we should, yes, we have to connect with it, but I did appreciate that it was part of this global team. And so I reached out to him and said, I would really love to learn more about your, your program. So I bought his program and I used it and tried it out. And it was very aligned with what I was teaching. And uh, I ended up going down to, well, first of all, I actually invited him up to Canada to, to teach his course to a group of people that I had gathered. And uh, right around the time he came up, it was just before I was moving back to Vancouver. So I had moved to Toronto for a few years with my husband's job. And was we were moving back to Vancouver. And then he said, well, why don't we do a course in Vancouver too? So then he came to Vancouver and we did a course. And then that kind of started a two-year relationship of me teaching with right, him yeah. um, in various places, which was fantastic. And I learned so much and um, also got to go down to Reno and get hooked up to his technology. So he uses wireless EMG to assess the pelvic floor, the transverse abdominus, the adductors, the inner thighs and the deep abdominals, the transversus. or sorry, I said that the glutes. Um, and so I went down and then I was experimenting with my, my philosophy of, of, uh, uh, bringing the breath in and coordinating the breath with the pelvic floor. And would that make a difference? And, um, and it did. And so anyway, that, that was kind of like impetus for me to, to keep going on that path and starting to to tell others. So that's around the time when, um, you know, I, I was, we had started Belly Zinc and we had all these fitness, we worked in fitness. We were at conferences all the time and we were always, you know, recognizing there was such a huge void and, so we said, we have to change this. So we started then developing our own course and um, and then trying to bridge the gap between physical therapy and fitness. Because a lot of physical therapists were afraid, not afraid, but they were very cautious about prescribing movement or sending their patients back out to regular fitness classes because the fitness industry as a whole was very...
0: Um, ill-informed or or not
1: informed at all and so they would end up getting those people back with more symptoms or worsening or what have you and so we wanted to bridge that gap and one of my my business partners is or was and is a pelvic floor physical therapist so we we took our course to get it to to fitness professionals to learn how to assess and screen for core and pelvic floor challenges within their scope and then prescribe movement that would contribute to healing and helping rather than things that would potentially interfere with or potentially worsen things like incontinence and prolapse and that kind of thing. Got it. Um, so once I sold, you know, long story, we did that for many years and we, we have, we still co-teach together. And so once the product side was sold in June, it really allowed me to focus because running two businesses, yes, there was overlap. There was always the theme of pelvic floor, but it Mm. was, it was a lot. So it allowed me to kind of get my scope back in, in focus and really look at, I, my passion is coaching women either one-on-one. So through calls like this online or through online programs for people who kind of like to just give me what I need to know and let me go and do it. And so that's, um, that's what I do. I have two challenges. That are app based. There's one for pregnant people, one for non-pregnant people. And that's sort of an introduction for people to understand my approach, my philosophy, my foundations, the principles, the the movement, that type of thing. And then from there, people can, you know, I have courses or what are the apps called? Um, they're called the Buff Muff Challenge is the the one for non pregnant people, and then Birth Like a Boss is the the one for pregnant people.
0: Also, Muff Muff is like a dirty looking sound and term, but I like it. I'm happy you're yeah. using it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's see, that seems to have resonated with a lot of people. They really like the name, but um, that's yeah, And then and then there's the, the the professional side. So for the the fitness professionals or really anybody, there's been chiropractors, massage therapists, osteopaths, midwives, doulas, like people. And there are kind of sorry, I gotta fly here. There's there's a few different um, there are a few different courses depending on what your area of expertise is, right. but um, but those are kind of where I now manage is education for professionals and helping consumers with online programs and coaching
0: for so two separate so one for the education prof, the professionals how mm-hmm. long is that course uh, I guess on because I'm assuming it's like a learn like go at your own pace type of thing
1: or and
0: how long typically you're
1: it's about it's about 16 actually i'm just i'm about to relaunch the the updated version so it's about 18 hours worth of content and then it's called the core confidence specialist certification and then there's a pre-postnatal certification that is an extension of that Mm -hmm. so it is everything from the core confidence course plus everything you need to know if you're training pregnant women so all of the everything about pre postnatal fitness. And you also get a copy of the book that we co-wrote with Human Kinetics called Pregnancy Fitness. And that one is about 22 hours of content and it's online. The The core confidence, we do sometimes still teach in person live, obviously during COVID that wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, I have master trainers around North America who teach in their own communities. And we got together in June and did an online virtual certification. And there's another one coming up. Um, on the 18th. So in a couple of weeks through CanFit Pro, there's a, a live virtual option as well. And um, yeah, so that's kind of, so it's, it's between like 18 to 22 hours of content, depending on which course you take.
0: It's really nice. I know because I also have been in this fitness space for about 10 years now in New York yeah. and you know, the, before COVID the fitness space here is booming like there's gyms you know everything's a a building here so there's gyms on top of gyms like literally just stacked and it's such a huge industry whether it's um you know the hit classes or the spin classes or this or that or crossfit or whatever it is and obviously now it's so different with covid a lot of things had to close and it's you know the sad story but i know for a fact that so many fitness professionals have no idea when it comes to pregnant women. I was just speaking with a midwife and, um, she, she's amazing, but she was telling me how, um, so much is everything that she does is statistic based, um, or comes from numbers because she also has a PhD. Um, so she really likes to have evidence and show hard facts. Um, but so anyhow, she was saying that, um, basically people look at, and it's true because I was pregnant last year at this time. I had I gave birth like five five and a half months ago, but they look at you as though you're disabled or it's a handicap and it's really not at all right. the case. But, you know, they put you in this little box and then, and the problem is, is even though so many women have babies, like a large percentage of the population, to some degree, it almost seems like they take advantage of Oh, you're pregnant. Do you, do you feel sick? Do you, do you need to sit down? Like, yep. I don't think like, no, this is some. this is what our bodies are made for. Yes. I understand there's, you know, some instances where these one-off scenarios, but I don't, I don't believe in, I don't think women are weak. So I don't think that they should be allowed to be weak during this time. Like, yes, you're creating a human, but I don't, you I don't know. You get my point.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, and I think that there's also, there's a blend there of um, a litigious society that we are in, and so people are afraid because they don't want to do anything that could potentially cause any harm, so everyone's proceeding with a, like, quite a bit of caution, and for a long time, it was accepted that, you know, oh, you're pregnant, so you need to stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, and you just sit, and you're, you're just pregnant, and then that obviously was challenged over the years, and and then what has happened has It's kind of gone to the other extreme where now we have women doing CrossFit and, you know, super high intense or running marathons or doing all this sort of stuff while they're pregnant. And and while I agree and appreciate that it is not a disability, it's not an illness, it is still not, in my opinion, the time to be going for personal bests and, you know, super high endurance activities. I think that we have an opportunity to build this amazing person and also support our body through the changes so that we're not necessarily because um, some of the changes when we aren't we aren't aware of them happening which most people aren't they just kind of accept well I'm just pregnant now and, and yes my boobs are getting bigger and my belly is getting bigger and they, they accept these changes that we see physically but biomechanically and physiologically we don't necessarily appreciate all that's happening and how movement the choices we make in movement can either support that or potentially increase our risk of developing things like diastasis and prolapse and incontinence so obviously i'm very you know i'm very laser focused on the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall and i'm looking at i see people through all stages and so many people coming you know I had my baby 20 years ago. I had never known this. Had I known this, I would have made this choice. Or even people who gave birth a year or two ago, still, I had no idea. And had I known, I wouldn't have done this, or I would have done this. And so there's, there's the extremes that have happened that are being applauded. Like we live in this world too, that is just like, we glorify, we, we highlight, we like, we say, we comment on people doing amazing, amazing feats and, and things. I don't want to take away from that. However, I feel like we kind of have to come back somewhere in the middle where it's not a time to be sitting around and and not moving because we have this, this challenge ahead of us. We do have a challenge ahead of us. And it's not also a time, in my opinion, to be doing those personal best extreme fitness measures. I think we need to move in ways using the principle of specificity to prepare us for birth. That's our event that we're training for. And so when we prepare with specificity, looking at what are the most optimal birth positions, what muscles do I need strength and supplements and endurance in? What are some of the breathing patterns that will help me? What does, what's happening in pushing and how can I facilitate that? What should my recovery look like? What should my, you know, when we're training for a marathon, we go, we run progressive distances right before, you know, like in the weeks before race, uh, race day, we taper that off and we conserve our energy. And then there's a recovery element after we participate in our event. And Mm -hmm. I view pregnancy and birth the same way. We're preparing, we're building up in specific ways in the weeks before birth, there's a taper off period where we're resting, we're replenishing, we're building up our stores. We perform on race day. It's not a race, but you know what I mean? And then there's an element of recovery. And that is also a huge uh, huge piece of, of the puzzle that is grossly overlooked and also, celebrated where people are back at the gym, not so much in COVID, but back doing box jumps or looking like they haven't had a baby within two weeks and and posting photos. So there's, there's lots of mixed messages. And, and I'm hoping that we start to kind of see a a middle ground again, Mm -hmm. where, um, where I feel it's more supportive of, of our body as a female body, uh, more supportive from both in pregnancy, but also for life.
0: Yeah. It's a really, it's such a wild time. Because, I mean, there's always going to be the naysayers and there's always going to be the one, you know, the few people that are like, good for you, you got it, you know, whatever it is. And there's always going to be both sides. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's just so interesting because this time with social media, everything, I mean, if you allow it, is just there. Yeah. So, you know, you really open yourself up to the criticism or the applause. You really allow... Yes. And if you allow it, then of course it's going to happen. So I don't, I think it's just very interesting when it's an extreme to one or the other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when, 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 women, when women find their happy medium, obviously that's the healthiest and the safest thing. Yeah. Um, and it is very interesting because, um, no pregnancy, even with the same woman, different, it's all, it's different every single time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So many different influences. And and I think part of, you know, if I look back at when I started all this, it was recognizing through my own pregnancy that Mm -hmm. I, I knew about the pelvic floor because my mom had shared with me and I knew the negative aspects. I knew that she had incontinence. I knew that she had surgery. I knew that she had episiotomy. So I had this kind of negative view of it and that it was just something like, oh, well, that just happens when you get older. And I had done, made the choice that I did want to have a baby. I did think very hard about having an elective cesarean and did my research on that and weighed the pros and cons, decided I wanted to have a vaginal birth and then looked at all the ways that I could help prevent tearing episiotomy, but things like, so I I knew about incontinence because my mom had gone through that and I had seen it in the media prolapse pelvic organ prolapse. I had never heard the term. I had never heard it talked about anywhere. And When you look at statistically now, there was a study that came out with a large group of women and over 83% of women have some degree of prolapse at six weeks postpartum, whether that was a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth. And 50%, just over 50% of that 83% had a stage two prolapse or greater. And so when you think about how common it is. And the fact that nobody is talking about it before or nobody is screening for it after, nobody is giving guidelines from a recovery perspective, nobody's referring just, you know, basically Nothing. saying everybody go to pelvic floor physio. There's a huge missing link. And that's kind of where I started was we need more information beforehand. I've always been a preventive mindset person. I, I would rather do what I can to prevent something happening or minimize it rather than find out about it and then maybe have resentment because somebody I could have prevented it mm-hmm. but then have a tougher hill to climb and so when i look at the evolution of fitness and how it kind of gets harder and harder and harder and more extreme and and the the women's movement of everybody wanting to feel inclusive and that you know i'm i can do that i can do that as well i agree but physiologically the female body is different and we really truly need to understand those differences we need to understand the menstrual cycle the hormone the, the influence of hormone the influence of pregnancy the postpartum aspect what has changed in our physiology in our musculature in our core support system mm-hmm. you know all that we need to understand that and and making that part of doesn't have to go deep in science but at least a, an overview in pregnancy so that people are aware of these changes and making choices based on that informed choices. Cause I don't feel like it's always been very, mm-hmm. they haven't had an opportunity to make informed decisions in their, in their fitness and movement for pregnancy and postpartum.
0: Yeah. Um, I have a couple questions on that. So one, I want to go back to the prolapse and I want you to explain uh, maybe some, because I don't know if it, I don't, I'm not so familiar with it. So, which I'm the majority. So, um, I don't, is it something you could feel? You don't feel it. You, what does it feel like? It doesn't hurt. It does hurt. If you sneeze and you pee, you laugh and you pee. Are these all forms of this? Can you kind of, so that's one. And then the other one was, um, I definitely, definitely, especially being in the fitness space in New York city, there's such a, um, and everyone's body is different. So I think that that's the most important thing that a lot of females, I don't know if they forget, but they don't take into consideration when, you know, they see this person or that person or whatever on social media, and they don't know if she's getting her period or if she is, or if she's not, or if she wants to have kids or she doesn't. So, you know, they see that she's looks a certain way and sh- they want to look that way. And it's like, okay, but that, probably is, that may or may not be good for your body, depending on your overall goal. Right. Like, and I know so many females and I'm a perfect example. So I have, and it's literally something that I've always had, even when I was overweight, like I played volleyball in college and I was probably as much, I weighed as much as I did when I was like eight months pregnant and I had abs, like I've always had abs. Like even now I'm a couple months, I- got my six pack back at like three or four months postpartum. Like yeah. it's just something where I don't have a lot of fat that goes there, but I've always had a normal period. And I think that a lot of girls look at me and they're like, well, you have abs and they, and I don't starve myself. I eat very regularly. I eat everything I want, but I just am super active. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people don't take it. And obviously, as we all know, social media is such a, um, you just see, from the outside like i'm not posting what i eat i just post my workouts and little things about my baby and here and there my dog my husband but yeah. it's really a wild thing because people and i get messages like my what are your macronutrients what are you eating what's this what's that and i'm like honestly i don't know because i eat whatever i see truly seafood yeah. diet i yeah. see food i eat it. <laughs> and i just i'm just super lucky like it's genetics i work out hard whatever it is But I think that that's why it's such an interesting thing because, and it's sad because I was able to get pregnant easily. Thank, you know, thankfully knock on wood. But when, for most people, I know a lot of females who have issues getting pregnant because they never had a regular period and they, you know, their body doesn't have enough fatty tissue on it because of that, because they're depriving themselves, because they're not taking care of themselves. They're not nourishing themselves. And I think that I don't know if this is the right word, but I just, to how maybe to, I don't know what the word is, but getting pregnant and having a successful birth is truly the test of how you've taken care of your body. Like, or I don't know if test is the right word, but if you've really taken care of your body all this time, because yeah, it, can be,
1: it can be a reflection of it for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it's really a wild thing because they do, I, I do think that there's a lot of good on social media, like how else, what I have found you, how else, you know, do you connect with people, but there's also such this, this just shiny thing that people see that's not
1: accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I, and I totally agree with you. And I I think, I know that there are, there is a movement, the body positive positivity movement, body positive movement is definitely, is definitely making an influence. And there's a lot more people now Um, who potentially typically post images of themselves fit or not, are also pointing out when, you know, that I do have roles, I do have cellulite, I, whatever it is. And I, and I, so I think that it is happening and that is a good that's coming out of social media because initially, and and still for some people that it is a, it is very much a, um, everything's lovely. Everything's just rosy,
0: beautiful. That's it.
1: Yes, exactly. So there are many, many accounts. The bird's papaya is probably one of the most prominent ones, um, and and her her writing is fantastic. Her images are amazing. She's she is such a positive voice for re- like getting rid of the sh- the, the shit yeah. and just being real and authentic and genuine and um, and and calling out. I need to look her up. Messages. I've never yeah. the bird's so papaya. She, She's definitely somebody who, Sarah Nicole Andrews, her, her accounts of the birth papaya, and she also has a podcast called the Papaya Podcast. Uh, she's actually currently pregnant right now, too, Hi. which is um, which is great to, to follow her journey. But anyway, she highly, highly recommend. Now, another person I recommend following uh, from an education perspective with regards to the female anatomy is um, Dr. Stacey Sims. So she has a book called Roar, and it talks about the physiology, this, the menstrual cycle, the eating, the, the hormones, the movement, all the sort of stuff that can really um, influence how we as women should be or how we would most benefit from training when we appreciate the, the, our, our, our physiology, our anatomy, our function, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So those are, those are two things cool. that I recommend. Um, with regards to the first part of the question, from a prolapse perspective, so I'll give you a quick anatomy about or a quick demonstration about what it is. So if you can imagine that my sleeve is is the vagina, the muscular tube of the vagina, at the top of the vagina is our uterus and our cervix. This would be the anterior or the front wall, and I would have my bladder here, and then this would be the posterior wall, back wall of the vagina, and there's the rectum. And so prolapse, pelvic organ prolapse, POP as it's sometimes called or, or referenced, is when one or more of those organs shifts out of its optimal alignment And in the case of the bladder or the rectum, it will start to bulge into the vagina. In the case of the uterus, it just starts to descend into the vagina. And in early stage prolapse, so stage one was where it would be, there's just kind of a tiny little bulge. Stage two would be the bulge is more prominent. It's about two... I'm forgetting now if it's inches or centimeters away from the entrance to the vagina, the introitus. So it's it's visible if you look, but you can't feel it. Stage three would be where the bulge is at the entrance to the vagina, and stage four would be where it's the bulge is out, outside wow. of the vagina. And if you can imagine a scrotum. So you can imagine a scrotum coming out of a vagina. That's kind of what a fourth stage prolapse would look like. Yes. Very, very life altering. It's not life threatening per se, but it is very life altering. That's something a quote from Dr. Crawford that he, he says. It's not
0: life threatening. You would think it would be like both. Sorry. What was your question? You would think that it'd be life altering. Yes, because everything you do, but also it's not life threatening. That's you would think it would be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You kind of think it, it would be, but no, um, it, it definitely affects function of certain like elimination, that type of thing, which could potentially lead to something that would be life running like down Like going but,
0: to the bathroom, going poop.
1: Yeah. So for me, I have a recto seal, which is when the, when my rectum bulges into my vagina and it's a stage two. And I talk a lot about that on my social media and it is now, um, a lot of people now not so much just with prolapse, but specifically with rectocele are like, Oh my God, what do you eat? What do you, how do you move? How do you exercise? Because there's so little information, especially about rectocele. There's so little information about what you can or can't do. And um, anyway, so that's kind of what I shed light on. But anyway, so mine is a stage two, mine bulges into the back wall of my vagina. And you're, if you're, if you haven't managed your, your poop, your digestion well, especially if you have hard, stool it can get trapped in that pocket and make it very difficult to eliminate and some people actually have to put a finger into the vagina and push that bulge back so that it can actually come out that's called splinting i don't have to do that thankfully because i I, i'm very very careful with what i eat and how i move and how i poop and all that stuff um but that doesn't mean like there most days i'm asymptomatic i don't have symptoms most days when I first had it, so I've had it for about eight or so years. I can't remember Where did exactly it come what it came from. What's that? Where did it come from? Uh, never will hundred percent know, but most likely from the birth of my first child. So when my first son was born, he crowned. So usually they crowned mm-hmm. with this part of their head coming out and my son came that way. So he came the widest, there was a wider width of his head rather than the, just the top crowning part. And so I didn't have any external tearing but I had internal tearing that I didn't know about until years later when I started to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And so right where the bulge of my rectocele is, is where that accumulation of scar tissue is. So it's, um, because I didn't know about it, I didn't know about pelvic floor physio until a year or so after my second child was born. Then I didn't actually, at the time when I first learned about it, I thought, oh, well, this is who I'm going to refer people to for problems. But then I started quickly to say, well, everybody should go. And I'm going to go because I want to learn about it. And and then so that's where I found out. And, and yeah, so right at that little accumulation of scar tissue. So that was impeding muscle function. So who knows? That's It could be from that. Yeah. It could be, I don't know, it could be lots of things. I also had, I didn't know, but I have an autoimmune condition called Hashimoto's which okay. affects the thyroid which contributes to constipation so I had many years of struggling with I couldn't understand why I was constipated I exercise I drink water I eat healthfully <laughs> I got to yeah. I do all these things how can I be constipated and I, I had no idea so that was another kind of learning journey that that I still am on now um so it could have been because I was dealing with constipation um could have been the two together who knows I'll, I'll never know 100% what what caused it and
0: you never felt it how did you know
1: how did you know that you had it? Like how did physio. you? So once I started seeing a pelvic floor physio. So right after my first son was born, I remember I remember feeling like I had a golf ball in my anus. And some people who have prolapse will say will will say something like that. I feel like something's there or I feel like I'm sitting on a ball. And again, I didn't know it at the time. I thought, "Oh, it's just that's how you feel after you have a baby." So it and it eventually subsided and then I had a second baby and then you know I didn't have it as strong with my second birth but it eventually subsided then I started seeing a physio and she's like oh yeah you got a little a little rectocele here and then so it was it was fairly early stage but then that was right around the time when I started to be dealing with constipation so I feel like that worsened it and so I was dealing with some symptoms eventually and then as I started healing the Hashimoto's and changing diet and you know, working on all that stuff, mm-hmm. my symptoms decrease. So, so there are days still where I have symptoms, but f- most days. I What don't. are symptoms that you have, for example? So, mine, mine are feeling like there's something in there, or if I move or bend a certain way, I can feel it. Um, and uh, early, like before I had addressed my eating from like I went before I had eliminated some of the foods that were issue causing issues for me I would feel sometimes if I ate something with gluten or something that was irritating to my body I would feel like it would almost feel like there was popcorn in my rectum like I would feel like these little bubbles almost it sounds kind of so weird so wild yeah and no but it's I, a good way to describe yeah, it yeah and then if I ate something that caused gas and if I had to fart but if I wasn't in a place where I could let one rip then I would hold it and then that that gas would get trapped in that little pocket too. And then that would increase symptoms. Or if I was constipated, then that it would get stuck. And then, you know, so it was just kind of this vicious cycle that I was, and I still dance between it. And I kind of, some days I just think like, Oh my God, I wish I didn't have to think about my butt or I didn't have to think about prolapse or I wish it, but then there's other days where I feel very grateful that I know that I should be very vigilant with, um, with these things because it affects my pelvic health, which affects everything else in my life. Um, So so anyway so early stage prolapse for many people is asymptomatic. Some people early stage can have very strong symptoms if they, if they're very very body aware um, but so many people have no idea that they have early stage prolapse and they aren't aware until it becomes further where they they're like I wiped and I felt a bulge or I can see a bulge or I had sex with my partner and it was and you know his or her fingers or penis felt like it hit something or I put a tampon and it doesn't feel like it goes in properly or my tampon doesn't stay and it turns out, it turns around and comes out the other way or, um, urinary retention. I I feel like sometimes I, is that a thing? Sometimes a tampon can turn around. Yeah. So, and it can be, it's, I would say it's probably more common with rectocele, but if early in the day the prolapse is typically better and it will get worse throughout the day as you've been upright against gravity, especially if you've had straining gravity, So if you insert a tampon, so here's my little, my vagina again, if I, if I inserted the tampon and and if over that day, that bulge gets more, it can push and then potentially contribute to the tampon turning itself around or or just descending, um, or a menstrual cup it can do the same thing.
0: Oh my God. I got a menstrual, one of those damn cups stuck in me.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oops. Well, I have a girlfriend who recommended it. So I, you know, I folded it and didn't, yeah. exact, and I couldn't get it out. I don't know if it was my nail or what, but I freaked out and it was in there for like, I don't know, maybe m- this isn't very long, but maybe like eight minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the mirror. I'm like, you know, got my leg up and I'm trying to get it out. And I will not be sticking one of those up there anytime soon. Again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They can be, they can be great. I think, um, there's a lot of people that use them and there's a many benefits. I find that they, for many reasons, I think they're Do you that there's, What's that? You suggest them? Uh, for some people. Like, I think there's a really good site called putacupinit.com. And okay. it's it has all the different resources, like all the different cups. There's a quiz to see which one's the best for you. Um, there's one, and I'm just, I'm trying to remember the name. There's one particular company in Germany that makes one. I have to, I'll have to send you back the, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but okay. it, oh, Marula, I think it is, e r u l a. Okay. And that has, many people with prolapse have actually found that one to be quite effective. So the, if you have a prolapse and you put anything in, it could potentially not, like tampon wise, it may not stay cup wise, it may not secure or, or stay um, sex. Like if a penis goes in, it might hit something. So there's anything going in there's a bit of a different landscape Mm -hmm. if you have a prolapse and there's different pressures that happen throughout the day that can also influence the position of that if we're talking about menstrual cups here so the the depending on what type of prolapse you have different cups may or may not work and sometimes it can be a bit of a trial and error the important part with cups is once you've inserted them and they open up and they kind of create that suction Mm -hmm. a lot of people just try to pull them out and that can create some drag so it can irritate the tissue and it could potentially irritate or, um, influence the prolapse as well. So you really want to make sure that when you're, when you insert a finger and sometimes even two that you break that seal. So you push in to, to break ah. the suction first and then you kind of collapse it and then you take it out. So that's the important part of removing uh, a menstrual cup. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good to um, know. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's another great site. Um, called Incostress, I-N-C-O, and then stress.co.uk. And she manufactured a product called the Incostress, which many people use as a pessary. And she's actually in over the years designed other products. And she has a a cup now that she has designed, uh, forget this one, i just, she's hopefully sending me a sample of it, but it actually had like a little, instead of having to insert your finger to push, to break the suction, It was just a little kind of nodule at the bottom that you just squeezed and that released the suction and you pulled it out so i felt like that was that could be
0: a little more accessible to the finger
1: yeah um yeah so those so so prolapse is very very common but and statistically more common than incontinence but it is way less talked about and it is the one that affects our mental health the most it can be devastating when people find out they have a prolapse and uh, right now, usually the the way they find out is not always through pelvic floor physio. Usually, it's through their doctor or they've been referred to a gynecologist, and then the gynecologist says it recommends surgery. Usually, and surgery can be life changing for many people. I'm not against surgery good. at all. Life changing, good. Life changing, good. Well, life changing, good and bad. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. But then the people think that's their only option, and and I think surgery can play a role, but all the other non like the more conservative approaches in my opinion should be pursued first before we go down that route so so they go down the medical community they they haven't heard about pelvic floor physical therapy and um and then they just kind of like okay well this is this is what it is and this is what I have to do and I just have to have surgery and that's it and then they're told you can't lift anything over you know 20 pounds you can't run anymore you can't jump anymore and so then they're thinking oh my god and 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 they become very limited in their movement and that affects also the other aspects of their health, including their mental health. And so it becomes very isolating and they're afraid to move and it and they, they withdraw from relationships. And, um, so it really, we really, really need to do better at screening and talking about it and giving people strategies afterwards from a recovery perspective that, um, that helps break that stigma.
0: Yeah, it's really, um, I think that it's a big issue that disconnect between medical and I don't think that necessarily physical therapy is holistic, but it's, it's the more holistic approach. It's the manual labor, right? Like you have to do it. And there's a huge disconnect yeah. because a lot of people, even whether it's your vagina or your foot or whatever it is that you, you might have surgery on, um, It doesn't seem like they refer out their patients after surgery. And I know this from multiple, like multiple people I know had a cyst removed or had, you know, random things. And then they go and they go home and they're like, well, it's really sore and it's really tight and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, go see a physical therapist. But my doctor, my doctor didn't say I need to, but you need to. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I'm like, no, but no, no, but you have to see a physical therapist will help you actually, it will be, it'll probably be painful and it'll probably be uncomfortable to get moving and to get, you know, get rid of that fascia tissue or whatever is in there, but you have to do it. Like you, and I don't understand why there's such a disconnect between doctors in general.
1: I don't know why that is either. And that's, it's also something that I'm, and I'm trying to promote and and I was actually thankfully the other last week or a week and a half or so ago i went to see uh um a colorectal surgeon uh about my own body so i've got kind of skin tags that hang out all the time so i was just curious what are those what from uh, from hemorrhoids <clears throat> so the tags um, are
0: from hemorrhoids
1: yeah and and also just from from pressure from childbirth like it's very very common for people to to say, you know, my, my anus doesn't look quite the same as it used to. And that's a little bit, a little more skin there, a little more stuff there. Cause it, it, there's stuff that, that comes out from pressure and it can stay there. So anyway, there's different lasers and all this kind of stuff. So I was just curious as to what options are, are that are there. But anyway, he was talking about, he refers to pelvic floor physio. And I thought, thank God, like there's, there has to be more of this happening. And if back to the surgery point, surgery can be life-changing good wise. So it can take away the symptoms it can free people's mental like there's even studies that show the depressive scale like their mental health improves with surgery because it takes away those symptoms that have interfered with their life so much it can also be uh negative so surgery can sometimes create pain sometimes it could um there could be accidents like doctors are humans and there maybe it influences another organ or you know there's lots of things that could be good or bad more so good, I would say. And the, the missing link there is people have surgery. Again, if they so no one has ever spoken to them about pelvic floor physical therapy, they've been told they need to have a sur- to surgery, the women are like, Okay, I'm gonna go have a surgery. And I maybe get my uterus taken out because my uterus is collapsing, or maybe I, I have a rectus seal fixed, or maybe I have my bladder, the bladder sling surgery. And they have that and it takes away the symptoms and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Now I feel like myself again. I feel like I can run and I can jump. But without the knowledge of what contributed to that prolapse or challenge happening in the first place, we are often dealing with compensatory strategies or movement patterns that will foster or make that come back basically. And so there's a high recurrence of repeat surgeries and, and it's quite high within the first two years. And if there was a collaboration between surgeons and pelvic floor physical therapists for prehab, mm-hmm. so getting the muscles in their best condition possible before surgery and then rehab and what they should be doing in those early weeks, seeing the pelvic floor physio uh, uh, post-operatively managing that scar tissue, managing the function of the muscles. Then I think that there would be far less likely Uh, far less recurrence especially in those early years and the surgery the length of time that that surgery would last would most likely be significantly longer we really don't have research to show that yet um I think it's just makes sense and it's definitely what I promote so hopefully and there are some like there are some medical professionals who who cross collaborate all the time and I just wish it was now the norm I wish everybody would do
0: that. 100% I I um I think that along those same lines, you see, and I see it more in fitness, but I'm assuming it's a very similar thing. And you could tell me yes or no, where in fitness people, they see a workout and they say, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, but there's no set program if you actually want to see changes. Right. So it's very similar. People say, okay, so I see that she's posting about this or he's posting about this, have it, you know, regarding prolapse. So, or like Kegels, right. So people think that Kegel, like that's, but there's so much more to it than just that, right? Like it's your breathing. It's also, you gotta work on the the anus part. Like it's the four walls. It's not just the front part. And I, it almost seems like um, because it's such a taboo or um, something that's shoved, shoved in the closet and you're not supposed to talk about, they don't ask the questions and they do, they try to do the research themselves, but they, it's like, because there's so much research out there, and everything is so readily available it's easy to be misinformed
1: yeah yeah and totally 100 percent there's there's like for a while there was just a lack of information and now there is so much and it became it is trendy to talk about pelvic floor so there's lots of people talking about it now some very well informed others not so well informed and so people who don't know the good from the bad or just kind of following blindly and they try something and, and don't necessarily know. So better than nothing. There's at least there is great information out there and there's a lot more conversation happening, which is fantastic. Kegel exercises are something that most people know about, have heard about at some point in their life, but it's an elusive exercise because guess what? Nobody's teaching them. People say, make sure you do your Kegel exercises, or if maybe before they've been recommended to have surgery, maybe their doctor has said, Go home and do your kegel exercises but very rarely has there actually been a thorough assessment of the pelvic floor and evaluation of a person's ability to do it like the full contraction relaxation cycle the full full, um release range of motion of the pelvic floor so people go home and they they're like hey i've got to do kegels but also research shows us that most women are doing them incorrectly and so then they do them their way thinking they're doing them but then they don't work because they have been doing them incorrectly so then they give up and then potentially then they go to surgery and anyway so it's kind of this like, it's like a, bit of a vicious cycle. cycle and the thing with from a fitness perspective is I remember way back when I first was certifying so like mid 90s when I was certifying as a personal trainer for the first time and the core definitely was like the buzzword and it's been a buzzword you know people still everything's core 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 mm-hmm. still I did not learn that the pelvic floor is part of the core. I didn't learn that until I started to work with pelvic floor physical therapists. So, so, you know, 15, 14, uh, yeah, probably years later, whatever, somewhere between 10 and 14 years ago, right. When I started to learn about it. So it, it is a, it is the foundation of the core. There's a relationship between the breathing diaphragm and the abdominal musculature and the, multifidus in the back there's this inner unit that we have that when it works optimally we can perform better but if it's if you want to lift heavier usually you can lift heavier weight usually you can run faster you could jump you know what i mean like everything else becomes less challenging or you can progress more when that unit is working optimally but if there is something in it scar tissue um you know prolapse uh Hypertonicity, hypotonicity in the in the muscle group. Something mm-hmm. that's influencing its capacity for power mm-hmm. and control. If if there's something that's interfering with that, then all of our other performance in whatever workout it is that we have chosen will will be subpar. So when we can optimize that inner core unit, it makes those other things more effective.
0: Of course, and it only makes sense. Yeah. I wonder why. I mean, I guess it's just lack of knowledge why people don't, and it's also, it's not something you can see, right? So like you can go and you can do bicep curls or tricep, you know, extensions, whatever you're doing, and you see the muscle, like you can see a physical, oh, wow, this looks pretty or this looks whatever you want it to look, but you can't actually see those muscles in there. So I think that it's really easy for people to be lazy about it and just forget essentially.
1: Yeah, we've never really been taught. We've we've never really understood, like, maybe when we received sexual health education, or maybe when we started to learn about menstruation, we understand that we have a vagina, and we understand that we have a uterus. We don't necessarily look at the landscape, and how everything's oriented, and how everything works together, Mm -hmm. and the musculature that supports that system. We don't, we don't learn that, really. Um, And so without that knowledge and without an understanding that it is so important to so many parts of our life. It's this part that we just, it has always just worked for us and we don't, we've never had to think about it until there's something not working. And then it becomes one of these things that we're only thinking about. And with regards to the comment you said with it's not something we can see there's biofeedback devices. So a physical therapist is the ultimate, in my opinion, gold standard. If you are going to invest, like lots of people ask me all the time, have you heard of the lv have you heard of the Fit? have you heard of jade eggs have you like all the different devices that are out there and i and they these be are devices for,
0: for what specifically
1: hang on one sec i'll come back to that okay. thought so they, they asked me about these devices and devices can range between you know 60 to 215 dollars and a physical therapy early session like a first session is usually around 150 ish And so if you're going to invest in something for your pelvic floor, if you have access, not everybody has access community-wise like where they live to a pelvic floor physical therapist. But if you do, that is your most valuable investment. Go at least one time to have your pelvic floor and and your anatomy assessed and you'll have a treatment and that person will be able to help you understand if a device would be suitable for you or if it wouldn't be and then potentially which one would be better. So in terms of devices, um, Jade eggs or yoni eggs or something that um, have been, have become like I think Fifty Shades of Grey was definitely a, something that kind of reignited the the kegel balls or the Benoit oh balls yeah for the, for the pelvic floor and they can play a role. There's initially you know they were more supposed to be from a, a, a sexual perspective, so hiding, heightening sensation and arousal. But when they're weighted and sometimes some of them that have a little bit of movement in there, that can also challenge muscles so kegel weights can be helpful for some people and when we talk about building hypertrophy so bulk in our muscles kegels can help build potentially endurance and a little bit of strength but to progress adding weights can sometimes be the answer to to kind of get to that next level That being said, a lot of the training that is suggested with regards to Kegel weights is that you put it in and you 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 hold it while you go around and do you know brush your teeth or
0: yeah household activities
1: your activities of daily living. And I don't hundred percent agree with that. I like the ones that you put in and you maybe do a set of Kegel exercises with it in, and then you take it out, and then you have a break, and then you put it back in and you do another set. There's one called the Kegel Bell that I really like, and there's um, Intimate Rose, has some a graduated Kegel weight set that I mm-hmm. like as well. But I don't love putting them in and holding them there for periods of time. If you're looking for it from an arousal perspective, so the Benoit balls you put in and they move a little bit and they heighten stimulation, that's a different purpose and fine. But the other thing is Kegel um, Yoni eggs, so the jade eggs and, and that type of thing. I. I appreciate that there can be, um, energies and benefits to certain types of stones, but they can also be porous. And when inserted into the vagina, they can increase the likelihood of, uh, infection. So I like the ones that are made of silicone. If you're going to put something in, mm-hmm. and then the biofeedback ones that actually have, uh, an element of being able to see if you are contracting and relaxing, and you, you watch it on your phone, is the LV, E-L-V-I-E, and the Perifit. So those would be my two, the two that I most commonly recommend if you don't have access to a pelvic floor physio.
0: Very interesting. It's so, um, I mean, but even regardless, if you, you should go see a pelvic floor specialist just, just one time, and then they could tell you. And if you need additional help or additional um Workout, yeah. workouts, or whatever you want to call them, that's when you do the devices.
1: Totally. Yeah. I, I say every woman, everyone with a vulva and a vagina it should see a pelvic floor physical therapist once a year, at least. Like we go to the dentist, even if we don't have a toothache, we go for screening and cleaning and assess, assessment of our mouth. Mm-hmm. And we have been conditioned to just do that once a year, or sometimes even twice a year. And I think pelvic floor physical therapists are like dentists in the sense of they are, they do the screening and the assessment and the treatment and they kind of, you know, they, they're, we go to them for a check-in. How's everything, you know, are my organs still where they're supposed to be? Am I still able to balance mm-hmm. my muscular contraction and relaxation, any signs of this? Or I've been noticing this lately. Can you, you know, catching things early and screening for it is so important. So if you have a vulva and a vagina, I highly recommend that you see, even if you have no symptoms, go get assessed and, and understand your anatomy and your function and be, be be the one to be in control and be one step ahead of, instead of waiting for something to all of a sudden show up one day.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think I have one more question, but before I ask, do you have anything else you want to share regarding that? Because I think that this is a topic that we could go...
1: Oh, I can talk on that. Sure. Um, uh, so in terms of, I get asked where to find a pelvic floor physical therapist. So I used to have a, a directory on my, on my site for many, many years. And then there's a couple now that are, they just do it better. It's more comprehensive. It's global. So I direct people to, if you're in the States to pelvicguru.com, okay. and there's a directory on there of pelvic floor physical therapists, fitness trainers, um, Eurogynes, like all sorts of people who are really focusing on that women's health. Specific, specifically the pelvic health niche if you're in canada if you happen to be listening canada pelvic pelvichealthsolutions.ca um, also has a um a directory that you can can check out so if if you and you can also even just google pelvic floor or pelvic floor physical therapy and whatever town you're in or city you're in or, or area that you're
0: mm-hmm. in um my question is still regarding that same topic because it's yeah. endless and it's very interesting Is there, um, how do I, I'm like, you know how sometimes you have part of the question, but not the whole thing formulated. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, so depending on the severity of stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, a pelvic floor specialist could help you or, um, what are the options when it comes to surgery i don't even know if you know the answers to this i'm just asking um because i've heard the only thing that i've ever heard of is the mesh is that a thing still nowadays is that
1: yeah it's so so yes a pelvic floor physical therapist can help you helps help you see or understand or or know if you have an organ prolapse and what stage it's at. And ideally, when you go see, typically you have your first assessment lying down and a, a really good therapist will bring you off the bed and have you stand up and they'll assess you in standing as well because a prolapse will present very differently here than it will upright against gravity. So if you see a physical therapist, ask them if they can assess you in standing if they don't, if they don't ask for it themselves. Um, and then the time of day that you get assessed can also influence. So usually later in the day, the prolapses are typically, they present a little greater. So the, the, the kind of more true representation of what you have is best assessed later in the day with regards to surgery, um, or, or, treatment options. So pelvic floor muscle training, Kegels being one form of pelvic floor muscle training is helpful for prolapse, um, Hypopressive. The hypopressive method, also called low pressure fitness, is fairly new. It's been around in Canada or in North America for about maybe close to ten years, probably like nine-ish years. Uh, it's been around in Europe for about somewhere between twenty and thirty years, and it is the first technique really that offers hope for potentially reversing or at least improving early stage prolapse, especially bladder and uterus, not quite as, as effective for recto seals, but it's a very, 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 very powerful technique. Um, you can learn more at lowpressurefitness.com. And, uh, so I've certified in that. I've done the three levels. I use it myself. I've been doing it for eight years. I love it. It has not made a change per se in my rectus seal, but I had at one point, my uterus had started to descend and I, w- I had reversed that and have kind of, you wow, it's amazing. Everything else at bar, <laughs> at, at bay, I guess. Yeah. Um, with regards to surgery, there are different types. Um, and I don't know all the, the, there's so many, there's many different options. And really you have to sit and meet with a surgeon, but I have a whole, in one of my programs, I have a whole section on surgery, an interview with Dr. Crawford, questions to ask your surgeon. Um, One is about, is it mesh or is it native tissue? And if they historically use mesh, can they use native tissue rather than mesh? So mesh created, there was, there has been huge, huge ramifications for many, many people. Mesh has caused great harm to many people there are some people who've had mesh that have had no ill um, effects but there there have been many 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 and so it has been removed from the market and there's different types of mesh and so you want to have a really good understanding of if you are opting for surgery what exactly will be used for that repair and will it be your own tissue or will there be something inserted to help um, uh, kind of that's the word I'm looking for, not like help strengthen the tissue if, if the, the native tissue isn't able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, there's, that's a really big, long story, One but definitely be aware of mesh and make sure you're asking that question. And, and if there are options that do not use mesh.
0: Very interesting. I mean, I think, um, ideally, if you can just, as you already said, you, you know, proactively catch it before it becomes an issue. That's the best case scenario yeah yep. um okay so what else your social media your website where can people find you um and download you know all the things that you have going on or any new projects you're working on sure
1: yeah thank you um so vaginacoach.com is my website and my programs the challenges also the professional certification courses are all listed there uh, social media wise vagina coach facebook and instagram i'm most active on instagram um i also have a private group on facebook called box talk so i um it's a private place where people can ask questions that they don't want to post on social media or they you know they want to have a community to kind of connect with and uh, in terms of what i'm working on so i am updating the professional courses with new research that will come out in the next week or so um and the other one is right now when people take one of my challenges, they're, they can go do coaching with me or they can get one of my programs. But people were f- wanting, again, that community. They want to feel like they're not alone. They want to be able to connect with other people. And they want a little bit more of the, you know, rather than give me all this information that I have to de- decipher myself, I want to be kind of led through the process. So I've created a, it'll be an ongoing kind of a, an extension almost of the challenges where there's a daily pelvic floor workout, There's a community support forum where you can ask questions of me, where I will have live Q and A's. There's guest expert interviews. So for instance, as I said, Dr. Crawford will be one of those. Um, There's nutrition meal plans. So people are asking, what do you eat? So there's meal plans for various aspects of women's health. Uh, There's an exercise library. There's workouts. So a new workout, a new guest expert, and a new meal plan is released every single month. Wow. And, um, and people, so that will be an ongoing sentence. So I'm launching that, pr- I, I was hoping for October, it might not be until early November, but um, we'll see what I can make happen in the next couple of months. But that, that will be, it's called the Buff Muff Community. And it, it's only open for people who have taken one of the challenges. So if you want part of that, um, if you're pregnant, do the Birth Like a Boss Challenge. If you're not pregnant, do the Buff Muff Challenge. And then the next step is you can you can join in with the community.
0: Amazing. And how long in general, because I'm sure the, lengths vary are the public floor uh workouts
1: so the in the buff muff challenge they're about they start out about five minutes and then by the second week they're about 10 minutes a day and they're movement focused so they're you're not just sitting you know do 12 <laughs> kegels while you brush your teeth today or you know it's not that type of thing it's very movement based and um yeah so it's it's not meant to be super long and even when i have the community going i will add you know weight training and yoga and that that type of thing but all workouts, nothing will be more than thirty minutes. They'll all be kind of somewhere between the ten to twenty-ish range for the majority.
0: Amazing. Um, well, thank you for your time. I that was super insightful. Um, I learned a whole lot, and I'm sure the viewers will as well. Um, awesome. And be well and stay well. And um,
1: thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ariel. Take of care.